Amen. That's awesome, isn't it? You know, this season has been crazy. We started the first of the year, the season of Consecrate, and we've, we've spent the last 21 days kind of really going after the Lord. And Clay and I were talking earlier this week, and even Justin and a few others, and I really feel like this is almost like a, like a, a year of Consecrate, where we just say, Consecrate 2023, dot, dot, dot. And so just don't let it end here. Let's just keep moving forward throughout the rest of the year. Really, each week, take time to really go after God like you never have before. And I'm just, let's give Trenton one more round of applause for that testimony. Like I've said before, that just, I don't know about you, but it just gives me hope when I hear other people's experiences. It's really, really powerful. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the 15th chapter of Luke. And I'm going to be preaching a message this morning called The Lost Son. And this is a, the prodigal son. You may have heard it before. This is a very familiar story, maybe to some of you, but I really feel a lot of weight on this. I actually want to give you, well, before I go any further, I just want to pray over each and every one of you over this message. So let's just pray together. Dear Heavenly Father God, I cannot do this unless you show up and unless you speak through me. God, I believe with all my heart that you have something special for us this morning, that you want to speak to your people, that you want to change and transform lives like you never have before, God. And I just thank you so much for your, for your goodness and your mercy and your love. I pray over every person here this morning, every person listening, that you would open their, their hearts, open their ears to hear, and let them receive what you would have for them, and let them change this morning. Let them leave here a different person because of what you're doing, God. I just give this service to you. I give this message to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to lay a little bit of groundwork before we get going. So, at the beginning of the year, really before the beginning of the year, I was wrestling with a lot of different questions in my life. I was actually, it was like a season of reflection for me. I, th- I thought about all the the things that I had come from in my life, and I was thinking about these moments that were really like markers. They were like a a defining moment in my life, a a light bulb moment or an aha moment in my life. And, you know, going back to when I was 18 years old, that's the biggest one for me. It was I was living in a lot of sin, a lot of sexual sin, a lot of... uh, I was just living like a heathen, so to speak. And I woke up out of my bed one morning, and it was like the Spirit of the Lord just hit me in the face and really convicted me in that moment, and I've never been the same since. And so it's been a journey for me. But that was a, a marking kind of moment in my life. And I begin to think about that, those things. And also different areas of my life to where I know that I needed to be doing certain things, but I wasn't doing them yet. And it bothered me. And so I begin to think about this process of what does it really take for a person to experience this aha moment. For things to really be different. You know, it's one thing to come to church and hear a great message, but when does it get real? Like, when do you actually change and become different? And so I was, I was praying at the beginning of this year, and I was on the edge of my bed, and I had my head down, and I looked up, and I have a bookshelf in my bedroom, and in the middle of the bookshelf, there was a book called Aha uh, that I had purchased tw- about 12 years ago that I'd never read, and it's by a guy named Kyle Eidelman. So I read that book and read this story that we're going to read today, and the Lord began to really lay out this really clear and cool recipe that I think that he has for us this morning. And so, when we read this story, there are three ingredients that make up this recipe, if you will. This aha moment. Awakening, honesty, and action. Now, the thing about this is, just like any recipe, you can't just have one or two without the others. All three must be present for this thing to work. And we're going to see this lay out perfectly in this story. So... 
I believe genuinely with all my heart that if we can grasp a hold of this, we can experience genuine transformation and change. Amen? And I want to challenge you before we move any forward, move forward anymore. I want you to make an agreement with yourself right now that for the next hour, or however long, that you're going to be 100% honest with yourself. I come from a teaching background. I'm going to ask you some questions. Some things are going to be challenging. And I want you to promise yourself that you will be 100% honest from here on out the rest of this message. Okay? We good? Awesome. Luke 15, starting in verse 11. And then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now I think it's important to notice here that what the son was doing, he was asking for his inheritance before the father even died, which was really a slap in the face to the father. It was like essentially saying, hey, I want you to be dead. I want my, my inheritance. And so moving forward, I want to define, first of all, for us practically now, what the far country is. The far country is any area of our lives where we try to live independently from the Father. Now, we all fall into different categories this morning. There may be some of you that are completely, you've not accepted Jesus yet. Your entire life is away from the Father. And for others of you, maybe you're a Christian, but there's still these areas of your life you're just not willing to give up yet. Now, I've used this example a hundred times probably, but I'm going to say it again because it's good. If our life is like a bookshelf, envision a bookshelf, a lot of us, what we, have, what we do is we have these different drawers for different areas of our lives, and Jesus and church just happens to be a drawer. That's one category, one area. And God wants the entire bookshelf. Everything should fit into Him. And so, again, be honest this morning about areas of your life in which you are away from the Father. You've gone into this far country. And and this this is really simple too, but also I just want to say from my own experience, what I have found is that a life apart from Jesus is a complete waste. The first 18 years of my life were a complete waste. And yes, and the beautiful thing is God is, is so good that He's able to take all broken things and make them good, and it becomes a part of your testimony. But up until that point, man, it was, I, was just, I was just wasting things. I was not living a life of purpose. I was uh, confused. I had no direction. There was no meaning. There was no guidance. There was nothing. I was lost, completely lost. And that's just not a good life. And for whatever reason, I think that human beings have this tendency, naturally, and I think you guys would agree, that we think we know best. Even going back to the the beginning with Adam and Eve, that's what their decision was. We don't need God. We want to choose things for ourselves. We want to become our own gods. And so that's what we do. We say, hey, we can can do this on our own. I'm going to take this. I'm going to go do my own thing because I know best. And that always leads to destruction. Let's keep reading. Luke 15, verse 14. But when he had spent all... There arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to his fields to feed swine. See, I was feeding pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. 
But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I'll perish with hunger? So in this moment, we see the first ingredient. We see this awakening. And the son comes to himself in this moment. You know, I want to talk about uh, quickly some alarms. Where's my snoozers at? Can you guys hit the snooze button a lot? My wife is the worst. She's got her hand raised. I'm the wor- I'm gonna be honest too, though. I'm the worst too. Um, it's really easy to that, you know. You set a song at first. It's like a song that gets you fired up. Like I do that. Like I'll set up like you know this awesome song that you know. And the first few times, it's like oh that song. I'm ready to go. Then after that, it's just like snooze, snooze. Let me tell you what you can't hit snooze to, children. Amen. I remember the other morning I was asleep and, and, and I, could, I was starting to come to myself and Brenda was with Eliza and she was like, go wake your daddy up. And so Eliza's running over here and she's like, daddy, wake up. And she doesn't leave after that. It's daddy, wake up, wake up. And I said, I'm awake, but I have my eyes closed. And she took her fingers and peeled my eyes open. She was like, wake up. And then the worst is like when you're laying there asleep and you just sense something and you open your eyes and your kids are this far from your face just looking at you. Right? You can't hit snooze on that. Now, so there are a lot of alarms that go off in our life. Some are like really, like boom, clear. Some other ones we can hit snooze to. And so there's a lot of different types of alarms. I believe personally, I was telling Clay this, this the sermon series we just got through Consecrate, after he preached on the secret place, I told him, I said, that's one of those messages, it's just not like, it's not just a good word, it leaves you with an ultimatum. It's like, I have to be different now because I heard this. It's like, a, it's a big alarm going off in us. Other times, so, so another alarm may be a certain type of scripture, right? Another big alarm for me is when I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And I was, I was young and I was really wrestling with fear and I didn't know what was going to happen in my life, and I was really afraid of death. And so I'm not saying this works every time, but in my young mind, I was, actually, I was actually dabbling like a little bit into prayer and fasting. And I had my Bible, and I said, I'm just going to flip through the pages and stop and point my finger. Anybody ever do that? And I'm going to see what, the, see what it says. And I just so happened to land on John 11:4, 4. And Jesus, the, the scripture there was, it said, this sickness is not unto death. And obviously that was a particular story about his friend Lazarus and, and stuff like that. But for me in that moment, man, that hit strong. And it was a real wake-up call for me. And we see examples all around us, right? Like of, of how, like when I was living a life of sin, I knew where it would lead to. I'd seen so many examples before me. And we have friends and family that, you know, come and kind of shake us and say, luckily I've had those people in my life that's been like, you may want to think about this. This is not right. This is wrong. And so we have these alarms going off all the time. Let's look at the alarms that the, the son was experiencing. Going back to Luke 15, 14, it said, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. I think there are a couple of requirements that must be present for you to experience a, a, a real awakening. And, and those are there's a slide here. First of all, it's consequence, and that's what we read. But when he had spent all, so the son had wasted everything, and he was experiencing the consequences of his actions. When you really get to a place where you're starting to experience the negative side effects to the choices you've made, that's, that's a big wake-up call. And then also here we read 
And then there arose a severe famine. Now, he wasn't responsible for that. That was just nature, right? That's something that was happening to him. So that was a consequence, things that the world brings upon us. Now, the most important part to these two requirements is our response. And what you see happen when we go through trials is it either pushes you far away from God, you get angry and you run away, or it pushes you to God. Luckily in my life, I can genuinely say that the trials have brought about the most significant seasons of spiritual growth in my life that I have ever experienced. Clay prayed that this morning. Some of you are going through some tough times, and God is kind of using those to really refine you and bring about some real growth, if you allow it. And that's key. You must be willing to see that and realize that. You know, in the book of Job, if you don't know who Job is, Job was the guy who, like Clay also said when he was praying, he kind of, God kind of lifted his hand a little bit and allowed the devil to, to, to do some things in his life, and he lost everything. His health, lost family, possessions. But I love what Job says at the end of this book. In verse, uh, sorry, chapter 42, verse 5, Job says this. He says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Man, that hit me like a ton of bricks when I read it this week. How many of you, you've just heard about God? But I ask you this morning, have you seen Him? Have you really experienced Him? And I believe that these trials, these challenges, these, these consequences that we go through can really allow us to experience God in a beautiful way and can equip us and help us. Paul also points this out in 2 Corinthians 7, 10. He says, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. I also really like the message translation of this verse, so I'm going to read that to you as well. It says, Distress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets and end up on a deathbed of regrets. That's kind of hard, isn't it? So I pray that you respond this morning in the correct way. Let your challenges, let your trials push you to God rather than away from God. Now the sun here hits absolute rock bottom before he's willing to make a change. And let me, let me tell you this. Do you know this morning that you don't have to hit rock bottom before things turn around in your life? There are, are, uh, this message itself is an alarm going off right now for you. That yes, if you have been going in a negative direction, you can stop now before things get worse. And you can turn around. Let's look at the example here uh, of, of the, the prodigal son, the lost son. It says in Luke 15, again, we're just going to keep going here. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he spent... He sent him into his fields to feed swine, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. And so again, this guy hit absolute rock bottom. And so I ask you, what, my question to you this morning is what alarms are going off right now? Maybe the past few months, maybe the past few Sundays, the past few Wednesdays, what has God been you know it's there. You know it's an alarm. 
what kind of alarms have been going off. Now, the next ingredient in this recipe, this is where it's, it's, it's going to start getting spicy, is honesty. To be honest, I think a lot of us hear alarms. I think, I think that ingredient we're good with. To, to be honest with you, I think we know the decisions that we're making. We know where it's going to lead. We, we even hear the alarms. But we fail to be honest with ourselves. At the beginning of the year, I, I already got permission to share this story for my wife. So, At the beginning of the year, me and my wife had a little bit of argument one day. And we're kind of going backwards and forth. And finally, we got to a place where we we're having a good conversation. And I told her, I said, you know, you want to know the truth of the matter? I said, you and I, we are fat, we are lazy, and we are not seeking God like we ought to be. I told, didn't I? Didn't I say that? Yeah. But here's the thing. It's tr it was true. That hurts. We live in a culture where you don't say that. <laughs> don't, do not say that. But it's the truth, and I needed to hear it. She needed to hear it. She's called me out on some things that have hurt. One of the most painful things recently is, is so my son and my daughter, I'm a little bit harder on my son. I now know that. Um, I, I, he's, a lead, I, he's a leader. He's leading his little sister. And so sometimes I can be a little rough on him. And, she, you know, Brenda, she's called me out. She said, you're being too hard on him. He's shutting down when you're, when you're talking to him that way. And I was like, it took me back for a minute. But I was like, you know what? You're right. I need, to, I need to check myself a little bit in that area. Yes, I want to hold him to a high standard, but I need to think about how I'm responding. So it's good to, to hear some hard things sometimes, right? Luke 15, 17 through 19. But when he came to himself, that was the first ingredient, he said, there's the second. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The son here is brutally honest about his circumstances, where he is and what he deserves. It is not easy for us to admit failure, to admit that we are wrong. It's not easy for us to admit that we're not the spiritual leaders of our home or that we have a hidden addiction that no one knows about or we're addicted to pornography or we have alcohol problems or whatever have you. You fill in the blank there. No one wants to admit those things. Awakening leads to conviction. Conviction is you realize you're guilty. The next step of this is honesty, which should lead to confession. And this is where we actually admit our guilt. I'm going to back you into a corner this morning. And I'm going to force you to be honest with some things. I'm going to ask you some questions point blank. Did you spend more time this week on social media or with God? You ain't got to answer out loud. When was the last time you told someone you was wrong? That you asked for forgiveness? That you admitted to them that you had done the wrong thing and you, you said you were sorry? If we were to check your phone or computer's internet history right now, what would we find?
When was the last time you prayed over your spouse? Or you prayed over your kids? And I'm not talking about just, Lord, let us have you know, a good night's sleep. I'm talking about really pray for your kids. Really pray over your, life, your wife or your husband, vice versa. What sin have you not confessed to God or to anybody else? When was the last time you sat down with an open Bible and read? When was the last time you actually cried over your sin? Listen, guys, I know this is hard. I know those questions are hard. I promise you I'm coming from a place of love this morning. I've, I've, I've dealt with and am dealing with all the same questions. I'm not speaking from a place of condemnation, but it's time that we get honest and we get real about our circumstances and where we stand with God. So the son here does a couple things. One, he's honest with himself, but also he says, I'm going to go to my father. So you need to confess to someone else. To, to yourself is the easier part, right? Okay, it's like, okay, Jeremy, I'm gonna, I'll be honest with myself. But now I'm asking you, you need to find someone you need to be honest with them. I'm not talking about anybody. If you deal with alcohol problems, don't go with your drinking buddies and say, hey, I've got a drinking problem. <laughs> they know. <laughs> and they're going to tell you what you want to hear. You need to, sit, you need to sit down with someone who's going to love you, but also be truthful with you and share grace and all those things. Listen, I've had to share some really embarrassing and vulnerable things in my life before. But I promise you this, you know, the, the, we think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be so hard to say those things out loud, but the relief that we feel once we do that doesn't even compare to the, the thing that we've been holding inside all this time, right? There's good news in confession. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James 5, 16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then lastly here, Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but he whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Confessing does this unique thing. It, it enables us to be uh, accountable. Right? It also equips us and encourages us to break cycles of sin. If you just keep it hidden, it stays there. It lies dormant, keeps building. Nothing ever changes. Confession is huge. You must confess to yourself, to God, and find someone you can trust. Now, there's some things that I, I think that prevent us from being honest. We're going to run through these real quickly. The first one is denial. We keep living like everything is going to be okay. The next one is disagreement. We arrive at our beliefs not on the basis... This is... Let me, let me re-say this. This one is huge in our culture right now. We arrive at the core of our beliefs not based on any kind of truth or proof of anything, but we arrive there based on how it makes us feel. The things that appeal to us 
that satisfy our own pleasures and our own desires, that's the truth we formulate in our minds. We live in a culture where your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and everybody, you just do you and I'll do me and we're all good. No, that's not how it works. God is holy and He has a standard. Everything in our lives must line up to Him. Amen? And that's just the truth of it. We can't coddle ourselves and keep deceiving ourselves. Avoidance. We want to avoid people and places that force us to be honest. Distraction. This is another really big one. We're so busy in life that even if we do have an area that's really we're struggling with, it's covered up so much by all the other stuff that we have going on in our life that it's easy to suppress. So really, find that quiet place. Find some time to get alone. Don't be distracted. Leave your phone away and really pray and allow God to reveal and shine some light into your area, into your life. Projection. This is another big one. We are victim, victim, victim. Right? Everything is always somebody else's fault. You need to take responsibility for the choices you've made. And then minimization. The truth is, it's not that big of a deal. I'm just going to have fun. Things will get better on their own. Somebody else will pray for my kids. Kids Church, they do a great job every week. I don't need to pray over my kids. Nope. In small groups, we're going to be going through a book um, called Kingdom Vision. And this quote comes from that book. And the author actually quotes another guy. His name is William Irvin. But I want to read it to you. There is a danger that you will mislive that despite all your activity, despite all, your, all the diversions you might have enjoyed while alive, you will end up living a bad life. There is, in other words, a danger that when you are on your deathbed, you will look back and realize that you wasted your one chance at living. Instead of spending your life pursuing something genuinely valuable, you squandered it because you allowed yourself to be distracted by the various babbles life has to offer. I know this is heavy. My question, really what it boils down to, is what's it going to take I mean, seriously, what's it going to take for you to wake up and realize that this is not a game? This is not just a cute Sunday morning service that you come to. They're not just small groups. They're not just, this is not just a box that you get to check in your life. This is life and death. The decisions you are making right now are affecting yourself. They're affecting your family, your children, and generations of your family. The truth is this. We are sinners. We have stolen and robbed from God. We are deserving of death. And apart from Jesus, there is no life here and we will spend eternity in hell. That ain't getting preached in church today, I promise you. Repentance, death, hell, those things aren't getting preached. And listen, 
I, I don't want to say these things to you. I'll be honest with you. But again, I, I, I have felt the weight of this all week. Not just this week, for weeks. And I really want... There's so many of you sitting here listening to me right now. And I, the Lord, I want you to experience life. I want you to experience genuine, transformative change. And only He offers that. It's, he is the only way. And if I don't warn you, if we don't wrestle with these questions, if we don't be honest with ourselves, we're never going to get to that place. Again, we're talking about a three-ingredient recipe of what it took for the Son to experience change and return to the Father. And this is part of it. Honesty is part of it. We good? I love you guys. I really do. I know this is hard. I know it's hard. The last and final thing in this story, the ingredient, is action. This is where a lot of us get stuck. Luke 15, the first part of verse 20 says, And he arose and came to his father. So he immediately took action in his life. He experienced awakening. He was honest with himself, and he said, now I've got to do something about it. I've got to get up. Many of us will have an awakening. This morning sitting here, many of, us, many of you will have an alarm going off. You will experience awakening. You'll even have feelings of regret. You'll be honest with yourself, but you will never actually repent of the things that you've done and take action. Awakening leads to conviction, as we've said. Honesty leads to confession. Action then leads to repentance. Again, I want to point out that all three of these ingredients must happen for you to experience genuine transformation and change in your life. You can't get to awakening and honesty and then stop with the action part. Once you, you, once you feel these things, once you're honest, we then have to, to take a step. Now, another thing I want to say here, another point I have, is awakening happens to us. Honesty happens in us, but again, like I've said, nothing changes unless action comes out of us. There was a study that I read about by a fellow named Dr. Edward Miller, former CEO of John Hopkins University, and he was the dean of their medical school. And essentially, he looked at a bunch of different uh, heart disease patients, folks that were struggling with their heart. And it's pretty common knowledge that when you're dealing with something with your heart, yes, it can be genetic, but also lifestyle plays a big part in it, right? Here's what he found. There was a, a bunch of people that had surgery. I don't know the number, but he said, if you look at the people after coronary artery bypass grafting procedure two years later, 90% of them have not changed their lifestyle. They know the seriousness of their condition, but they have failed to change. What is it about that with us as, as people? We can be face-to-face -face with reality, understand our condition, 
and what's going to happen, but we don't do anything about it. Th- that's, this needs to stop. This morning, that's what I'm breaking off. That's what the Lord wants to break off. He wants us to be a people of action. Until there is action, your beliefs and your convictions are not genuine. You know, there are several different types of beliefs that we have. We've already talked about how we come to some of those with, with they, you know, they, they appeal to our, our pleasures and all this good stuff. There's a, there's a set of beliefs that we want people to see. It's like we want, you know, it's like our social media page, right? It's very filtered. It's always the best shots, you know. I posted a picture last week of me and my buddy Jesse over here went duck hunting, and I had three ducks. I was like... You know, it was a great picture. I only killed one of them, though. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I sent my wife a picture yesterday of two more. Didn't kill either of them. <laughs> we filter that part, right? It's only what we want people to see and think about us. And then there's, like, beliefs that, like, we really know to be true, but we're just not living it. And then there's our core beliefs where, really, that's the only beliefs, the true beliefs, because that's what our reality is. That's the life that we're actually living. Now, when it comes to action, there are enemies of action. Now, these are really interesting. I want you to read this up here and really think about it. First is is feelings. We trick ourselves into believing that because we feel differently, we're actually doing something different. So we can sit here this morning and say, man, man, I feel convicted. Man, I feel you, Lord. I'm being honest. I know I've done this stuff. And because you have that feeling, it stops there. You convince yourself, but because there's a feeling there, you've actually done something. And that's not true. There's still more to the story, right? We live with good intentions and even strong convictions. But again, action must take place. Next is passivity. Would rather watch than actually participate. This is big. This is a big one for me. You know, we go out west and hunt and stuff every year. I can't tell you how many hours that I've spent watching hunting videos on YouTube. <laughs> you know what I mean? We love to watch stuff. It's much different than the real thing. Another thing I've always watched is like UFC fighting. I've been like I've liked it since I was like a like a preteen, like in high school. Well, recently my son and I started jujitsu. That's just one of the things they do in the UFC. And you know, you hear guys before you like watch the fight. And they're like, that's just a bunch of men wallering on one another. That's easy stuff. Well, let me tell you, it ain't. <laughs> I go over there, and I was, I, they make me feel like a child. There's like small, and I, and I come in like, thinking, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I feel like I'm kind of strong, you know. I've lifted some weights. I can hold my own here. There's like small guys that got me like twisted up into positions that I don't even know what I'm doing. My point is, the real thing is much different than watching it, right? We have to participate in it. I, that was a, my attempt at a joke in the midst of like a, uh, a really serious hard topic, right? Some comic relief there for a second. All right, let's bring it back in. The next is procrastination. And that, that, that's another big one for a lot of us. We're sitting here this morning, and, and it's not that you'll say no to Jesus, but you're just saying, not right now. I'm going to live my life a little bit more. I'm going to to prolong the pleasure that I'm feeling. 
I don't want to deal with the pain. I'm going to say yes, Lord. I'm just not going to do it this morning. I'm going to hold off. We're not promised tomorrow, guys. Why would you want to keep living a life, making decisions that you know is leading you to a pit of destruction, a pig pen, and it's going to leave you with nothing? Don't allow procrastination to keep you from the life that you've always wanted. Here, Clay posed this question to me a few weeks ago. He said, you know, was talking about things like this. And he said, you know, when are people going to realize that the life that they've always wanted is really a life after Jesus? Everything we chase, we're just trying to find something that's going to give us salvation. And it never does. He is the only way. You guys still with me this morning? You good? We good? There's also some symptoms of inaction. So here's what's going to keep happening if you fail to act. The first one's frustration. When your actions do not align with your convictions, then frustration is going to take place. I know this past year there was a lot of evenings I would come home and I would tell my wife, I'd be like, I don't know why I feel the way I do, but I'm just frustrated. I'm like even a little bit angry. And she's like, well, you know, you, you, you control the whole atmosphere of this house. I hope you know that. So just, you know, check yourself. So, which is it's true. It's true. Um, so I had to, I, and I realized something. Really, I was just mad at myself. Because I knew there were things in my life that I needed to be acting upon that, weren't, that I weren't doing. And it didn't line up with my convictions. It didn't line up with my heart. And it was causing, them be, causing me to be... Um, frustrated. Even going back to the heart thing, listen to this, I thought this was cool. The American Heart Association, they say this, uh, in terms of relieving stress in your life, they say, examine your values and live by them. The more your actions reflect your beliefs, the better you'll feel. And I really feel like a lot of us, we, we are at that point of like, We've had the wake-up call. We, we are honest with ourselves. We have convictions, but we've yet to do anything about it, and we have a tremendous amount of frustration and fatigue in our lives. The next is we can become critical, defensive, and angry. Our lack of action forces us to be mad, and then we just start looking at fault in everybody else. Well, so-and-so down the road ain't doing nothing about it. They call themselves a Christian. I'll be fine. We start pointing blame at others. Well, I don't want to go to church. They just do things this way, and, you know, there's a bunch of hypocrites down there, and yada, yada, yada. We make excuses all the time. We point fingers at everybody else. We get defensive. Again, we get angry. And then lastly here, defeat. For some of you sitting here this morning... You feel like it's too late. Like you have made all the wrong choices. You say, Jeremy, you don't know how far I've went. You don't know the things I've done. There's no way I can bring it back. There's no way that I can change. It's just too late in life for me. Let me tell you something this morning. It is not too late. It's not. You know, Jesus, when he was crucified, he was hanging beside two thieves. 
In Luke 23, verse 39 through 43, it says this. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. He knew that they deserved what they were getting. But this man has done nothing, talking about Jesus, nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. In the middle of dying, this thief had this aha moment of who this man was beside him. And Jesus' response is, Today you will be with me in paradise. Let me tell you, folks, it is not too late for you this morning. If you're sitting here, you have breath in your lungs, it is not too late. The question is, are you going to take action? What are you going to do? The ball's in your court. Let's look at the Father's response. Luke 15, 20-24. But when he was still a great way off, the Father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I don't want you to miss this. In that day and time, it was not proper for a man to, to gird up his loins and take off running. It was just not, not a thing. And you see the father here, looking a great distance off, he sees his son and he comes running. The father is looking at you this morning and he is running after you. He wants to meet you right here this morning. Do you hear that this morning? The father's response. He fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. In your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. The son was embraced with radical love. Complete restoration. That's what the father wants to do for you this morning. This, he met him right where he, he didn't wait till his son and got cleaned up. I hear that a lot of times. You know, I just need to get some things straight in my life. And then I'll come back to the Lord. You can't do it on your own. The son realized this. He was dirty. He was messy. He had been living with pigs. He comes back to the father. The father meets him. Picture yourself. That, close your eyes and imagine that this morning. You are that lost son. And for whatever reason, I know it can seem scary when we come back to the father, when we repent and we turn back to him. But you are met with the love and restoration of God. Look at this right here. The father puts a robe on him, which is representative of righteousness. He covers his sin and his shame. He puts a ring on his finger. This would have been a signet ring. It would have been a, a family thing. It was, it was representative of him being valued and belonging to this family. It was his identity he received his identity back. He was delegated authority. He put sandals on his feet, which, represent, which represented a new freedom. 
and a path forward. And then the fatted calf, of course, represents a couple of things. First is a sacrifice that Jesus would eventually make for us, but also a celebration. All of heaven is here this morning and wants to celebrate with you as you return to the Father. And that's the truth. He loves you just the way you are this morning, but He doesn't want to leave you that way. You need to hear that. He loves you just the way you are, but the good news is He's not going to leave you that way. He wants to completely restore your life. Man, you guys got to get this. You got to get it. Now there's, there's another part of this story. If you'll remember, there was two sons. And let's read about the other one real quick. Luke 15, verses 25 through 32 says this. Now the older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So, so think about this for a minute. Here's the other son. He sees what's going on. He gets angry at the return of his son or his brother. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him, so he answered and said to his father, look what he says, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him, the son's angry. He's pointing back at his own really self-righteousness at all the things that he had done. And here's what I believe. I believe that some of you are sitting here this morning in this entire message. You've been thinking to yourself, man, I know a lot of people who are like that lost son. They really need to repent and turn from their wicked ways and come back to the Father. And the entire time, you were the other son. And can I be honest with you? Your heart is as equally as far from God as the other son's is. To a degree, you've been in the inner workings of the Father's house. You maybe come to church. Maybe once upon a time you said a prayer, but you're not seeking the Lord. You're not praying. You're not going after God. You're not displaying the fruits of the Spirit. Matter of fact, when people come into the church, the church grows, people get saved, you get angry. You're critical and blaming everybody, everything around you that you see. Every decision you see in church, I do it different. I don't know why they're doing that. Let me tell you something. That's a religious spirit and you need to repent of it. And here's the truth. A religious spirit in the church is the one thing that really prevents God from doing what He really wants to do here. Again, I know that hurts. Because I've been that, I have, let me tell you something. I have been the, the lost son and I've been the other son. Like, man, I'm really starting to pray and I got things figured out a little bit. You know what I'm saying? We can develop that. It's easy to do. The point here is not, that, listen, guys, I, 
When you hear everything I'm saying, I know it stings, but again, I just want us to be honest and I want us to be real. And regardless of you're the lost son that is coming home or you're this other son, I want you to think about the father's response. He meets both sons where they are. Listen to what he says. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The son should have been with his father and run to his brother right with him. We should celebrate as Christians. Remember what you used to... If you're sitting here this morning and you're a Christian, you have a relationship with the Lord, don't allow that religious spirit to take over. Think back to where you used to be. You used to be the lost son too. Think about where the Lord has brought you from. We need to celebrate. Regardless of which son represents us, one thing is true, and this is the the period marker of this sermon, is the radical love of the Father. And where he meets both of his sons. And that love and restoration is extended to you this morning. We all need to be reflective. We all need to be honest with ourselves. We all need to check ourselves. And we need to return to the Father and allow him to do a work in our life. We need to be open to the alarms going off. We need to be honest, radically honest with ourselves, with God. And then lastly, we need to ultimately take action now. This is the point where you get to take action. I want to close with this verse. This verse has been heavy on my heart for several weeks. And I think if we could really get a hold of it, it it really changes everything. God's love for us is more than we can ever imagine. More than we can ever fathom. Paul prays this here in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may, be strength, he may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Can we just bow our heads this morning? So we're going to do things just a, a little bit, a little bit different. I'm. I think the Lord is moving in your hearts this morning. I think He's moving in folks' life, and I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If you are that lost son, that lost daughter, who you've, you've experienced the awakening this morning, and you felt the conviction, and you you know you need to to respond. I'm inviting you into action. 
And so if that's you this morning, I just the invitation is open for you to come up front. Clay and myself and some others are going to be here. We want to pray for you. If you need to take that step of faith, I urge you to do that this morning. I plead with you, don't put this off. Don't procrastinate any longer. If you need to make a decision for Christ, let this be that aha moment in your life. Let this morning be a moment in your story which marks the rest of your life. If you're the other son, or maybe you're a Christian, and you've realized this morning that there are some areas of your life in which you've kept far away from God, you need to bring to the light. You need to repent of some things, and you yourself need to return to the Father. I pray that invitation is open for you as well. I think the Lord wants us to act this morning. And so these altars are open. I'm going to pray for us, and then they're going to sing and worship. And as we do so, I invite you to come forward. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I love you so much. I'm so thankful for the alarms that you have going off in all of our lives. I pray, God, that you would allow people, give them the strength to be honest with themselves this morning, God. And more than anything, I pray that you would give them the strength to take that step into action. God, you are there and you are waiting and you are running to meet people right where they are this morning, God. Lives can be changed this morning forever. And you are here waiting on us. You're running to meet us. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just pray over every single person in this room, God. I love you and I thank you for your word. I pray that it does not return void, God. Your word is powerful. Let it sink into our inner being, God. Let us be not only hearers of this word, but doers. Lead us this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Let's stand and worship, guys. This altar is open if you want to respond. If you want to come up here, there's going to be someone here to pray with you. But I just encourage you to do that this morning. In Jesus' name.